Welcome to the Hotel Analyst podcast, your regular dose of 20 minutes or so of our thoughts of matters of the moment in and around the hotel investment space, brought to you by the usual duo, that is Andrew Sankster, the editorial director of Hotel Analyst, and myself, Chris Bound, the editor at Hotel Analyst. We're starting this week by taking a look at what appears to be a thawing in the uh, deal landscape. Um, does seem to be some some things are starting to move, and perhaps it's just a case of uh, those involved in the hotel investment space are kind of getting used to the new normal. Perhaps that uh, that famous spread between the buyer expectation, the seller expectation, is narrowing, or perhaps other issues are forcing people's hands and uh, obliging them to get down to doing a deal rather than fretting about the price at which it is done. And of course, we've got on the table the big uh, deal with Choice uh, pursuing a takeover bid for Wyndham. But uh, much much lower down the, the scale, uh, we've got quite a bit going on elsewhere in the market. Uh, and some, some interesting, uh, rather than just straight buying and selling deals, some interesting kind of um, other deals as well. And one of those which involves an interesting form of asset swap is, is currently underway in, in negotiation between uh, French landlord Cavivio and uh, Accor Invest. Um, the pair of them have some cross holdings in terms of uh, uh, hotels across across Europe and particularly in France and uh, Accor Invest of course is keen to tidy up its uh, its holdings and its estate. Cavivio it, it would appear is has been making moves over recent months um, to try and move itself straight away from a situation where it's got quite so many variable rent uh, properties and looking for the the kind of comfort of having more fixed rate uh, fixed rent uh, properties and so the pair of them are uh, currently negotiating some sort of a deal which will provide them with some sorts of uh, equal asset swap which they'll both be happy with in terms of um, improving their, their their portfolios individually um, so that one's in the works we've also seen uh, a couple of decent portfolio deals uh, taking place, uh, refinancings and, and portfolio deals, and in France, uh, Extendam, who are a, a fairly major hotel investor, have just bought um, a portfolio of 13 budget hotels um, under Louvre, B&B, and West Western brands. They're going to be refurbing those and um, uh, and smartening them up. Um, we've also got um, further afield back in the US, we've got uh, KSL, who are renowned investors in in hotels and and the accommodation space they're uh, just about to take over a, a US listed REIT there Hershey Hospitality uh, which is a 1.4 billion US dollar deal uh, don't forget KSL are also apparently quietly marketing in the UK village hotels so there's there's quite a bit going on uh, even at the individual asset uh, s- scale of things now things seem to be thawing and moving uh, it wasn't long ago I was at uh, an event where uh, valuers were moaning that there was very little evidence for them to value things. Um, but uh, here in the UK, a couple of premier inns have recently sold, which will give uh, those involved in valuation uh, something from which to calculate uh, expected yields and, and likely sale prices. So uh, thawing, not exactly going gangbusters, but moving in the right direction. Yeah, it's a very gradual thaw, isn't it, we're getting at the moment. Um 
what's i was just reflecting on the the, the two recent recoveries so the, the post-covid recovery post-covid lockdown recovery and the post-gfc post-global financial crisis recovery so if we look back to the global financial crisis of uh, late 2008 um into early 2009 when it hit rock bottom um the recovery after that was marked surprisingly perhaps given how deep and troubling the the, the problems were um, um, very little distress in terms of asset sales very few distressed asset sales coming to market um, the, the reasons for that as we reported on at the time were because the the banks couldn't afford to um, mark to market the the losses they were actually holding um, and the buyers didn't want them to do it either <laughs> so in, it was um, rather the the owners didn't want them to do it either um, so it was in both um, party's interest the owners who were in you know huge amounts of trouble and the lending banks themselves um if what they do instead was just to kick the can down the road and, and uh, extend and pretend um this cycle is quite different um although we are also seeing remarkably little distress now what we've got in this cycle um are much more robust banks um, and much more robust owners from the perspective that they've got um a lot more uh equity in the deals than they had back in that 2009 period um and the banks themselves are much better capitalized and able to absorb you know losses if necessary um so it is sort of surprising that we're seeing so little um distress but i think that this this strength of the recovery with this soar away top line um and despite the you know unprecedented rapid increase in debt costs we've never seen debt costs shoot up to the extent they have but despite that we're not seeing any real crises in terms of well you know we can't actually uh, refinance here none of that looks to be happening on the anywhere near the scale that some were anticipating um instead what we're seeing are owners who are saying well look okay well where they can um the bigger owners in particular are able to sort of put money into impaired capital stacks where they're simply not able to refinance and they're willing to do this because they realize that actually staying in the deal is is far far the better option um and uh, I, I think we will see some owners who are unable to do this having to trade and the banks will be leaning on them quite heavily to force them to do that but right now those owners are looking at their trading record and saying look we've got this fantastic uh, um, recovery happened here we're way above where we were uh, pre-covid lockdowns um, where's the problem with paying the prices we're asking and of course you've got buyers who are out there saying well hang on a minute look how much more expensive um, debt is right now the actual valuation hasn't corrected sufficiently to cover that and you've got this you know we've had this standoff for well over a year now between those two perspectives i think at the very least you'd say the the trading piece now is plateauing and the debt um growing in terms of cost is also plateauing so i think you know at least we've got two sort of straight lines which are stabilized um even if there's still quite a distance between those two two lines i think we will however 
get some innovative structures and innovative deals that are able to breach that gap and we're, we're gradually seeing that and that that's coming to pass this time this time around and you know this this weird situation and um, I headlined this piece with this is where we've had um, private equity where it, it, it make they're making their returns by lending money well it's just crazy for private equity to get into the debt game and make as much money as when they're in the equity game that that is perverse and is not really what private equity is designed for in terms of the the credit funds and I think what we are now seeing is that the you know these credit strategies are being unwound and in the place we are seeing equity um, starting to look a lot more interesting and they're beginning to do that now initially when these private equity firms were getting into the whole debt piece I thought well you know put my cynical journalist hat on and I said well they're clearly going for the loan to own strategy but in most cases I don't think they have gone for that however I think in some cases that uh, you wouldn't necessarily say it's loan to own but they're certainly looking to get a seat at the table in terms of the discussions around restructuring and we're seeing a bit of that it looks like at the moment within Accor Invest and you've got uh, Sculptor um, the hedge fund buying debt um, from Unicredit, the bank, uh, according to Bloomberg, at something like 90% to 93% of face value. So a little bit of a haircut for the, the debt provider there, but clearly Sculptor going in there in the belief that they will have an opportunity, I, I suspect, to, to uh, um, get more involved in the restructuring that is going to have to happen at Accor Invest. There's a couple of other non-bank lenders in the deal Apollo and Hayfin and it's certainly going to be worth watching what they're up to but certainly as you report Chris Accor Invest is uh, having a good recovery um, Bloomberg um, said that EBITDA was uh, um, above 2019 levels um, for the first nine months of this year um, and up 67 percent on 2022 so it's coming back very strongly but i think there is a still this hugely impaired uh, capital structure from the debts built up during covid lockdowns um, and our is looking to sell off 1.7 billion euros worth of assets by 2025 but it's having to go and talk to um, its debt holders about a restructuring and that's where these hedge funds and non-bank lenders I think are really going to get active and uh, start trying to do something um, which may look quite interesting. Um, in the meantime what we're also seeing is uh, in, in, in the City of London um, people are gearing up for a bit of activity so the uh, financial news which is the publication that covers everything going on in the City of London it headlined a story law firms in London are betting private equity will come roaring back and it, uh, the report went on to detail how the law firms were doing record um, hirings of deal doers and they're also investing in taking more office space contrary to everything mm. you've heard about offices so I think clearly the the legal eagles are thinking there's going to be some action ahead and I suspect um, quietly the private equity um, crew are also 
looking to switch out of their credit and and start some of the equity deals which they've been um, um, pining for. Niche that's uh, had a particularly bad pandemic but it is now coming bouncing back is the hostel marketplace uh, and uh, as one big marker that uh, shows that the investors are quite happy dealing into this space uh, has been an 800 million dollar refinancing recently announced as completed for the generator hostels business which of course encompasses some uh, US properties as well as some in Europe um, all owned by uh, Queensgate Investments so um, again interesting that no mainstream banks involved in this all all names of, uh, of sort of private investment houses and uh, private equity investors um, but uh, Queensgate's got the got the refinancing it needed which means it can carry on um, running and owning, owning the business which is uh, by all accounts doing very well at the moment um, and uh, of course it's not, not alone in in uh, moving around its finances in this space um, there's uh, currently the sale of the ANO hostel group major European hostel operation that is currently going through with uh, TPG the investor in the last few years looking to sell out um, that's a business which is is re- delivering well more than adults more than 100 million in in revenues um, and um, UK listed uh, operator SafeStay has uh, finally get it got its got its feet back under the table and they've they've acquired a new site in Edinburgh uh, returning the business to Edinburgh they had to sell up their Edinburgh site during the pandemic uh, in, a, in order to provide enough cash to keep the business going um, so uh, once more we look like the um, this niche is is set fair and, and recovering well and a hostel world which is the uh, if you like the OTA for the hostel sector um, has reported uh, extremely strong bookings um, and uh, business ahead of pre-pandemic levels so um, back into hostels once more yeah so what we were just saying about impaired capital stacks but actually the trading um going stronger um than anticipated applies even more so um to hostels i'd suggest i mean it was the segment that was hit just about the hardest of all the accommodation asset classes um because not only obviously you know they had to shut um during the 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 uh, formal lockdown periods but as they sort of we had this kind of weird gradual opening um the last thing people wanted to do was really go and mix it in mm. a hostel so they took much longer before they were able to trade anything like normal um so obviously they've come through this period with spectacularly bad looking um, balance sheets but they're now soaring away as you say chris i mean a slight caveat I put on that that hostile world um, mm. those numbers they're saying Central America South Asia and Southern Europe is now ahead of pre-COVID levels which kind of says well actually Northern Europe and the rest of Asia is still uh, below okay. COVID <laughs> but but the, optimistically I mean you know the retort to that that negativity is that actually there are still more tailwinds for hostels um, in terms of the recovery and given that as you know hostel world showed that uh, h1 2023 uh, revenue was ahead of that achieved in h1 2019 um that's a, not a bad position to be in with this you know northern europe potentially to come back and of course the 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 rest of asia to come back as well so that's a good good situation overall I, i'd suggest for for hostels um so but i think interestingly as we've 
coming out of this uh, it, it's worth reflecting on what's driving the interest in in hostels and i think this is captured again looking at hostel world um that they have a mission statement that it is uh, that they're helping travelers find people to hang out with um which i think is great you know very short and sharp and really says um what it's about it's not really about accommodation or cheapo accommodation it's about that connectivity piece um and you know this can be over egged and often is but i I genuinely think that's that you know that's what this distinguishes this segment from other cheap accommodation spaces you know you've got that socializing um potential within these venues which you don't get if you go and do say an airbnb as an example now airbnb tries and bigs up the social piece but uh i mean it's very rare that you know just going to a lockbox is not really <laughs> that that social experience whereas uh, you know going into a hostile environment is and what the that the, the modern hostels are offering is it's not just a dormitory but you can also get single rooms ensuite single rooms and so you've got this kind of um travel solution which um if you're a if if you are traveling and i've you know i've done this um in new zealand it was great you know if you're traveling around new zealand you're going to a hostel i didn't want to stay in a uh dormitory but you 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 got your separate room and you're able just to chat with other travelers about where was great to go and you know and and so you didn't feel quite as isolated um on the sort of two week three week trip um we were doing um so i think it works it, it you know it is a it is a very good segment i think and and has a unique offering which other accommodation short-term accommodation segments um don't offer so i think i think that's a very powerful piece um what we haven't seen however is the sort of institutional investor um really get stuck in here um it was a lot of excitement about it i mean you mentioned the tpg uh deal well that's mm-hmm. still not happened um, and that's at 2017 they bought um there so it's well overdue for well not well overdue but it is due for a um a transaction in that sort of five to seven year hold period of most private equity um we didn't see the ipo of Miningo, which i think was a, a you know that was a victim of the covid lockdowns i think that was a um uh, that's sad because i think ipos expose you know when you have a public company that exposes uh um you know what's going on and, and gets a lot of interest in the segment i mean i, I know safe stays listed but uh, you know it, it is uh, on a more minor market and therefore it doesn't quite provide the level of um detail that you'd get with a, a full listing um so you know and and of course we've had generator which was being touted around for sale um that sale was pulled in favor of the refinancing so but i do think in the next few years we're going to see some real uh, transaction action um in this sector and that will help um the sector to generate the sort of attention it serves to one of the last of the big major hotel brand groups to deliver their third quarter results and that was choice hotels uh, and of course choice uh, has launched this takeover bid for Wyndham so guess what the uh, third quarter results were used very much as a platform for the CEO Pat Patience to ram home his arguments as to why 
uh, everyone should be supporting his uh, takeover bid for Wyndham. Um, so uh, it was an interesting performance um, but what was uh, equally important was to dive into the detail of some of Choice's own numbers about their own performance um, while at the headline they revealed uh, record revenues uh, there were some slightly more anemic numbers elsewhere on the on the spreadsheet um, its full year rev par expects its growth to be just one percent and its system its own system growth for the year is going to be just one percent this is despite the fact that it says it's it's achieving record signings and doing lots and lots of conversion deals so um, uh, it did start to feel like uh, here's someone shouting from a uh, really not a position of massive strength as a business about its uh, its desires to take over Wyndham, uh, and and stepping back and looking at this sort of more anemic Revpar growth, Choice is very much a U.S. focused business, although it does have some international business. It's substantially a U.S. business, and um, I couldn't help wondering if this rather anemic and even slightly backwards moving Revpar number. Um, is indicative of the fact that uh, you know Choice was first out of the blocks for it uh, after the pandemic and 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 saw some rip roaring quarters with with substantial business growth. Perhaps Choice is now giving us a is the canary in the coal mine, warning us all that uh, uh, the U.S. hotel market is in for a softer patch, and that is is undoubtedly going to hit uh, all the big players over the uh, medium term. Mm, let's hope not i think um i think there's some issues within choice itself um it, it's got a bit of sorting out to do in mm -hmm. some of its brands um and that it does need a bit of work but to be fair you know Wyndham has a fair bit of sorting out to do with its brands within the u.s um as well um that you know they, they've got stuff i think frankly if they're going to have to shed at some point um and just as choice is sort of focusing now on those uh, franchisees that are are paying a decent fee level um, and axing those that aren't I think Wyndham have that same sort of process to go through too um, I, I think it's a very compelling proposition putting these two companies together and you know Choice made a good fist of you know why it is such a compelling combination and things like the marketing budgets they're each roughly 600 million us and that coming together gives you that uh, 1.2 billion of firepower and that is going to make the combo uh, much more effective against uh, some of these um, the bigger bigger rivals notably marriott and hilton um, who are entering the space um, and of course um, IHG um, who are there too um, certainly in that mid-scale bit up against uh, up against particularly choice I mean Wyndham is slightly more economy leaning than uh, choice and you know um, choice is more more mid-scale particularly after the uh, Radisson acquisition um, and mid-scale and upscale um, so there is a challenge here um, um, you know, ahead for Wyndham's t management team to sort of, sort of say, well, look, um, we're turning this down, although we know um, that the combination is probably going to be a bit better. I, I, I think to flip that on um, on on its head, you'd actually say choice has to demonstrate um, who should be leading, um, given that Wyndham's 
as you suggest, Chris, Wyndham's numbers are looking that much better than Choice's at the moment. Um, and I think Choice talked a lot about how they need Wyndham to come back to the negotiating table. Um, and they said, um, I suppose if you're Wyndham, somewhat ominously saying, um, you know, we have um, ways of getting you to talk, <laughs> as it were. Um, so <laughs> they didn't literally say that. But, uh, um, th- th- you know, this notion that there's very levers they can pull to uh, to get Wyndham to come back to the table but I think the you know the key thing is here who you know who is the the appropriate leadership team for this combo and that's something which I think Choice has to convince uh, Wyndham's shareholders as well because at the end of the day Wyndham shareholders although they'll get a bit of a payout they'll get half their money as it were straight away the other half is going to be remain stuck in the company and it's a question of you know how happy they are for that to be stuck in a company which is led by choice leadership or whether it's they're, they're going to prefer it to be Wyndham leadership and this is the bit that I think is going to be uh, unpicked over the coming months. Now it's time for our five star no star awards this week and uh, we're giving five Global Business Travel Association who've, uh, whose most recent soundings suggest that uh, there's actually going to be a, a, a decent medium term recovery in business travel uh, in, across Europe um, the runway look, is looking good and uh, they, they can see a way to uh, us returning within a, within about 18 months to uh, 2019 levels but then then accelerating ahead so uh, more tailwinds for the accommodation sector yeah and um, I can't resist pointing out that there were a number of people out there most spectacularly uh, bill gates who said 50 percent of business travel won't come back well yeah he, that was resoundingly wrong <laughs> um and um you know we have been on the bullish end of this uh, piece um we're not particularly forecasters but you know in terms of the qualitative angle on this we felt that uh, it simply did make sense for for us to all be replaced with uh, zoom calls etc we were going to have to have that personal interaction piece coming back and and so and it's no stars this week although we we love a private equity deal it's no stars this week for brookfield who've had to pull their plans to sell the uk center parks business which they were hoping to get about uh, four billion sterling for um, apparently no bidders got close and uh, perhaps that was uh, something to do with uh, worries about where the upside might be here's a business that runs at well over 90 percent occupancy i think most people who go there go well it's very expensive but it's a good day uh, it's still worth going um and um, their most recent attempt to find uh, an additional site to develop in the uk uh, got got cancelled after they they came against up against some uh, seemingly unsurmountable environmental issues so um uh, sorry to say center parks is still in brookfield's hands for now yeah i mean center parks has become um a sort of stand-in joke on the comedy circuit for how expensive <laughs> it is which is both at one level flattering um for what uh, the management team of center parks have achieved but also slightly worrying if you're the potential buyer of it because as you say um where where can it go now because um um there's probably not a great deal of fat left in there to be trimmed out um and and expansion looks ever challenging with the um 
awful planning process we have in the UK, which is holding back businesses like this and many. And all that, Sarah, we'll say goodbye for now. <laughs>